The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, bouncing off the bottom, even on a down day. Semi-surging energy higher EVs making a comeback. Even some crypto and meme stocks rising from the ashes. So can you play this January sector melt-up? Plus, we'll spin the Fast Money game show wheel on China. In the last two months, the FXI is up 36%. The KWEB up over 65%. Is it time to trade or fade China? And later, we'll start the big reveal for our acronyms of 2023 all week. Two traders a show will literally spell out their picks for the new year. Tonight's reveal includes a big bank, a couple of rides home, and a way to stay social. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. And we start off tonight with a major loss of momentum for the markets. The Dow erasing a more than 300-point gain at the start of the day. To close with a loss of more than 100 points, the S&P up almost a percent and a half at its highs, finishing basically flat on the day. The NASDAQ, meantime, did manage to hold onto its gains, but ended well off its best levels. Helping the tech-heavy index, a couple of recently beaten down names, Tesla jumping nearly 5% for its highest close of the year. NVIDIA seeing its best day in a month. Other EV and semi names also rallying. But is a rebound in high growth just a head fake, or can they bring the rest of the market higher? Dan, what'd you make it today? Yeah, I didn't think it was great action. I mean, when you think about the S&P 500, it consolidated in that range just above 3,800 from, I think, the last week or so of last year. And so for, you know, to enter this year, we had some volatility. We did have rates come in. And the fact that we saw the S&P pop out of that range on, you know, on Friday's close and then into today a little bit, it's not great action to close on the lows, give all that back, especially on the day when, you know, rates are down, the dollar's down. So um, to me, I think that, you know, CPI on Thursday is going to be really important important. I think that if we come in um, below expectations, you know, that might kind of cause another leg of the rally. But, you know, you got to go back to last month when we had that CPI print for the prior month. We had that huge breakout. Um, we were at much higher levels here um, in the S&P 500 and we gave it all back and, you know, we ended up going down towards 3,800. So I, I don't really love the price action here. And I just tell you this is that I think the market kind of reread or at least investors reread what was in that jobs report. And if this CPI number is hot, then we're going to break to the downside now now after giving up today's momentum. And then we're probably on our way back towards 3,600 in the S&P. Yeah, Karen? I agree. First of all, so happy to have you back. Great I mean, to be back. It was a long time, it seemed. Anyway, delighted to have you back. We're, I, I agree with Dan. I didn't think, I mean, I, I don't know why the market rallied so much on Friday, actually. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, was sort of more of the issue. I, I think that um, if the CPI number is hot, I agree it goes down. If it's cooler, I don't think that's necessarily up. I feel like we're pricing cooler in yeah. already. Right. And so if it happens, I don't know that we would get any additional sort of goose from that. So... Um, I don't know. I, you know, it feels like things change when the new year starts. I don't think things really have, except maybe there was some tax selling at the end of last year. 
people putting some money to work at the beginning of this year. But all of the same big picture macro issues still are there. Yeah, a 1.6% gain so far this year, Guy, an almost 2% gain on small caps so far this year, Guy. A lot is baked in in terms of the idea that the Fed might be sidelined. In response to Karen's first uh, comment, my response to that is Mech, number one. Number two, I think, you know, the Fed's made it abundantly clear. I mean, they trot out one speaker after another talking about, listen, you know, you can look at what you want, but we're staying the course. Steve Leisman's going to come on to talk about that. In terms of what the market's setting up for, you could look at it this way. Given the huge rally we had on Friday, you could take it as encouraging that the market didn't give all that much back today. I mean, that's one way to look at it as well. I choose to look at it as we reversed about 11 a.m., 11.30, and, you know, headed lower. VIX sort of found its, uh, found its feet a little bit, and the banks traded poorly into earnings on Friday. It comes down to, in my opinion, Thursday. Um, I think if you want to stay on the sidelines until then, that's fine, but I think you play it this way. If that number is hot, I think this market goes significantly lower. And if it comes in better than expected, you fade the ensuing rally. That's how I would look at this week. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, well, first of all, this was the first day back for a lot of traders. No one was uh, in the office for the last two weeks. Everything does hinge on, on CPI. I think we're trying to look through the Fed. That was definitely a Goldilocks number. So I don't know, Dan Staroff saying that they reread it. So that's possible where they wanted to look for a negative statement out of that. I think it's positive, but it doesn't mean that we don't go lower. And what I mean by that is earnings. If Mike Wilson and the rest of the analyst community are calling for an earnings recession, we actually have to wait for these earning prints to see which direction we go. So for me, I don't think it was necessarily terrible action today. It was terrible to give it all back. You keep getting rejected around that 200-day moving average. But we still closed above the 100-day. So I think that's as, as positive as I can get. The thing about the earnings recession call, and by the way, we're going to have Mike Wilson on tomorrow, tomorrow's Fast Money show, um, is that that seems to be consensus at this point. And so, you know, there is this notion that when things become consensus, Dan, it becomes yeah. priced into the market. And so if everybody is calling for an earnings recession or a huge pullback, a reset in earnings, everybody's expecting the first half to be a terrible first half and the second yeah. half to bounce. Why shouldn't we just go the opposite? Uh, I think you're 100 percent correct. That makes me very nervous, too. Yeah. But the difference is, is that we're, we're talking about like large pools of capital. We're talking about lots of moving parts as it relates to an economy, a global economy that is really just not in sync just yet. Um, and we have like a, we're really staring down the face of a recession here. And so, again, I get this whole idea that China reopening should be a tailwind for global growth. But right now, I think the stronger likelihood is that Europe is going to be in a recession really soon. The Europe, uh, U.S probably not far after. And I guess the one thing I'll just say with Mike coming on, you know, he's called for these tactical rallies. I just spoke to him recently. I mean, he's fairly well convinced that just the issue about sentiment is one thing, but the idea that you have earnings estimates still up 
for 10% or so for this year tells you that there's still something that's out of sync here. So when we get the realization that companies are guiding lower for this year, strategists start lowering their estimates, you know, investors just like they shoot first, ask questions later. We saw that last week in Microsoft of those comments from Satya Nadella in a downgrade um, from a Wall Street analyst. That stock was down 8% in two trading days. So I think that's the sort of thing that we haven't really priced in yet. The actual acknowledgement that estimates are too high. When the companies start telling you and the strategists start lowering their estimates, that's probably when the market starts going lower and and retesting those October lows. The thing that seems to be really tricky this time around, Karen, and I hate to say this time around, but, you know, it's one thing to say that estimates are too high, but at what level are they right? I mean, if we we believe what many economists and Fed officials say, and that is we don't know what the lag effects are Mm -hmm. of monetary policy, what has happened, we don't know what to price in. I mean, we don't know if the worst economically is going to be nine months from now, a year from now. So then what, what is the right earnings reset at this point. What do you shoot against? I mean, it seems like a moving target. It's always a moving target. We just don't know it, right? right? I think that, I mean, for me, I just want to be in lower multiple companies Mm -hmm. and out of higher multiple companies. It's kind of that simple because, you know, we always talk, I always say this, the market is not a monolith. There's a lot of different things going into it. So that's how I want to be positioned for that unknown. Yeah. Guy? That makes sense. Karen does say it all the time, and she's 100% correct. In terms of, you know, everybody is sitting on one side of the boat, I, that's probably true, although I think Mike Wilson might have a different take tomorrow. That's a tease, Mel. But what I'll say is for years, if not longer than years, the consensus was there is no alternative, and you buy every dip in the rally, and that proved to be correct for a long period of time. So, You know, we're just coming around to the grips that the market does go lower and can go lower. And we're literally just, you know, months into something that on the flip side lasted for north of a decade. So just I think that's worth mentioning because I think people look at it much differently when it's going lower instead of going higher. Yeah. And and Steve, you had mentioned that a lot of people were still on vacation. Last week was a holiday shortened week. This week is the first full week. We've got data. We've got earnings starting at the end of the week. We've got a full earnings slate ahead of us. And we're finally going to have data and and conference calls and commentary to actually listen to and digest. We've been in sort of a quiet period for stocks for, for many different reasons. So where do you think we you know, where what do you think the next few weeks are going to be like? So we, we have actually data to listen to and conference calls to listen to and everything to see. The problem is if the Fed keeps monopolizing all of our attention, that's what we're going to pay attention to. So I think the banks are more important than ever right out of the gate. Tempo, pace, what does their earnings look like? We've heard Mike Mayo say that these are the most prepared banks have ever been for a recession. Let's see what the banks say. Let's see how they feel. Then go to tech. What does tech think? Is, is tech making more investments or are they going to continue to cut? Because the truth is, we know they're not making more investments, but how deep are their cuts going to be? And I think if the marketplace sees that even though the earnings might come in, they're making cuts, the market will buy those stories. So you, Mike Mayo was on last week and he was very enthusiastic, as is Mike Mayo's way generally. And uh, you know, talking about this is a great era for banks. I agree. I, you know, Friday morning we'll, we'll get the first J.P. Yes. Morgan. We'll see what they have to say. One thing that has been absent for the big money center banks is the M&A business. That today was a little bit of a merger Monday, actually. Yet a little, little bit of activity. That would be nice if that came back. Financing comes back. But I really want to hear his take on the economy and credit 
and I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Really? It doesn't yeah, feel like I it. I mean, I do. Goldman Sachs is going to make the biggest round of layoffs in, in quite some time. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like boom time. I see no well, incentive. It's a different for, entity to be. Sure, a different sure. Animal J- Jamie Dimon, I think, really led from a commentary standpoint about the challenges in 2022. Like, like, like right out of the gate. If you think back to last January, that stock was trading really near an all-time high at the time. I think it made its all-time high in November. And, you know, he had been ru- routinely negative. I mean, remember, like, the economic right. store, that sort of And it was more over at Bank America, who was actually a lot more optimistic. And, you know, he kind of changed his tune late last year. So I think it's ironic that Mike Mayo, and he did a great job explaining why he was so bullish um, on Bank America. He said they should earn a lot better than many of their peers in a higher rate environment. But it's really interesting. When rates went, the 10-year went from four and a quarter down to three and a half from the highs in November, Bank America dropped like a lug. It dropped like 20% in a straight line. And if you look at it, it hasn't really recaptured all of that. So the thing that makes me nervous about bank earnings into all of them, Wells Fargo, City, Bank America, JP, they all report Friday morning, is that they performed as a monolith really well off of the lows. You know, the S&P rallied 18% off its mid-October lows. Uh, I think JP Morgan was up like 36%, so it too X'd it. So if they are even just cautious about the near-term environment, which they actually should be, I think these stocks could kind of back and fill a little bit. So to me, I don't think they're a great setup as a long into the prints on Friday morning. All right. Well, as we mentioned, the next big read on inflation is just around the corner here with December CPI. That's up Thursday. But even if we see further easing on price pressures, will it make a difference to the Fed's policy? For more, let's bring in CNBC's Steve Leisman. Doesn't feel like it would, Steve. Yeah, uh, Melissa, another day and two more Fed officials making hawkish comments. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly saying that both a 25 or a 50 could be on the on the table for the January-February meeting, and that it's too soon to declare victory and stop hiking rates. Raphael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed president, meanwhile said, point blank, the Fed is willing to overshoot no rate cuts through 2024 as far as he's concerned. He'll consider 25, uh, a 25 base point hike depending upon what happens with the CPI on Thursday. Meanwhile, the data has been soft while the Fed rhetoric is hawkish. ISM services are contracting. December wage growth slowed. November was revised down sharply. And the five-month annualized inflation rate running around 2.5%, depends on how you count it, could be lower than that. The price index of the ISM services index, that's the thing the Fed's all concerned about. Back to where it was before the pandemic. It pretty much has round trip. To be sure, the unemployment rate did fall by two-tenths, but the two-year fell again today and on Friday dropped with the jobs number and the ISM services number. That was the market's read of the data, if not the Fed's. The appearance, at least from their comments, is that Fed officials are not really data dependent, but instead they have a hot date with a 5% funds rate or higher. Charles Calamaris, he's a Columbia professor I talked to over the weekend. He said to me, what's strange at this moment when things are so ambiguous is for the Fed to be acting like their actions are so predictable. Fed may end up getting this right about inflation being persistent, or they could be making the same mistake they made last year when all of them, or nearly all of them, decided inflation was transitory. Melissa? When the Fed comes out and speaks, I mean, first of all, they, they, all, they all sound the same, right? And we've been making that point for quite some time. They, they've all of a sudden gotten on the same page in terms of the script here. Um, it sounds like they're trying to wrangle the markets. That's really what it seems like they're trying to oh, do. Oh, for sure. But the whole point for of this sure, whole thing is what, wrangling what, the markets. Right. And it seems like the more they talk, the less control they have, Melissa, Um, in terms of what's happened with the two year. Look at what's happened with the 10 year. Uh, There's all of these things that they keep repeating. We have more work to do. Um, The risk of doing too little. 
uh, is outweighed it, it, too, too little, it outweighs the risk of doing too much. They talk about the history lesson from the 70s, all these little components, and they all put them into their speeches and their commentaries and in our interviews, um, and, and they're all saying the same thing. I'm just amazed, Melissa, that with the data the way it is, and by the way, with the market the way it is, market probabilities are spread out, but the Fed is pretty much uniform and monolithic in their outlook. Steve, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the 70s. I've brought that up. People say it was much different that time. I get it. But I do think there's some sort of 1972-73 analog parallel. But, you know, what I find, I think Jerome Powell in October of 2018, I know you remember this, when he was on sort of autopilot, reducing the balance sheet, raising rates, I think in his heart of hearts, he thought and knew that was the right thing. I think he got browbeat by the market into submission, you know, by December, by Christmas Eve of that year. Is there some semblance that, you know, he's now going to stick to his guns and he's not letting anybody dictate anything to him? I think that's right. I mean, he's laid out this idea uh, here, Guy, about the service sector and wages and the labor market. And I think sticking to his guns means he's not going to let up until he sees the labor market creating slack and wage gains coming down. Um, fact is you did see some of it when you looked at the uh the wage gains in the in the November, uh, sorry the december uh, uh payroll report and also those downward revisions to november uh but that's where he's at right now he believes that the core service sector x housing is the area to look at he believes that is driven by the tight labor market and so no let up from the fed until that particular area shows some improvement Hey, Steve, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So what do you think he needs to see? You talked about labor, but what about in the CPI? What would he need to see to say, all right, we'll pause? Well, there's an expectation. Okay, so he's divided up the inflation picture into three different components. The first is the goods sector. The second is the housing sector. And the third is the sector I just talked about with Guy, the uh, core services X housing Goods, he expects, and we already do see deflation in that. He expects housing to roll off uh, in the coming months. It might be uh, by, by the summer when the um, lower rates or rents that are out there in the economy uh, start to filter into the index. There's an acknowledgement that that is lagging what's happening in the economy right now. But he's going to really want to see this service sector start to show less inflation. Uh, whether or not that price index I showed you from ISM services is a leading indicator here, uh, it has gone the other way compared to what's happening in the CPI report. But that's what I would look at most importantly on Thursday is that service sector area. Steve, as always, thank you. Pleasure. Steve Leisman. Um, if we're buying the rumor, what is selling the news in this scenario, Dan? Uh, you know, it's back to this realization that the likelihood is that we're going to be this stagflationary environment. And I just heard a lot of like like economic speak that is probably over my head in a way. And so we're seeing, you know, this kind of um, reversion to the mean on a lot of those inflationary things. But Guy's been saying this now for a while is like even if we do come in off of highs, like that CPI print, we're looking for a 6.1 CPI per, um, print after a 9.1 this past summer or whatever, it's still going to be high and it's still going to weigh on growth. Growth, right. And so I, I guess that like, you know, it's just a tough situation here. And, and I think the most important takeaway that I have from that is that if the Fed is going to do what they did in 2021 and into 2022 and they're going to overstay their welcome, then they're going to stay. They're telling you they're going to stay 
tighter for longer, and that inflationary um, or stagflationary environment is just going to weigh on asset values because that's the one thing that we saw. A lot of these major companies that you know we've seen come down a lot, we haven't even seen their estimates come down a lot by their own accord yet. It's been a valuation re-rating, and so I don't know why you would expect that to turn on a dime anytime soon, especially before I think equities start to discount a potential recession, and that's not going to happen at 3,800 in the S&P 500. It has to happen somewhere below those October lows. Coming up, Lulu shares looking for some nirvana today. The stock going all downward dog after a big warning. The real legging lower. Oh, my. Next. <laughs> Plus, um, the big leg, uh, headlines out of J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference with the heads of Pfizer and Moderna had to say about the space. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. A buzzkill on Lululemon. Shares falling more than 9% after the company warned its margins could come in lower than expected for the holiday quarter. Inflation expected to shave a couple cents off its earnings still. Lulu upping its revenue outlook, saying sales expected to remain strong. Uh, Karen, you're out of this one. Yep. Thankfully. Thankfully, the yes. last time they said inventory was high. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't that disastrous of a, of a release, actually. Mm-hmm. And they, they did talk about some gross margin pressure, but they also talked about a little bit of SG&A leverage. So the net of that, too, wasn't horrible. However, traded down $30. It was, it was, it was like a line caused cellulite or something. I mean, it looked like a, <laughs> you know, failed drug trial for Lulu, something like that. I, it just... It's just too expensive going in. That's it. Great company, great margins. They do a great job. It's just, should it be at 1.6, seven times the market multiple? Maybe not. Yeah. That's it. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think once you start mentioning, you know, Karen just stated it, gross margins, that's where you're in trouble. I would stay away from this arm of retail. And if you look across the board, Ralph Lauren, Tapestry, Capri, the higher-end retail names have uh, perform, continue to perform, and more importantly, their stocks continue to move higher. I would stay there. Uh, Guy, what do you think about this notion of higher-end? So people, high-income households are trading down to Walmart, but they're still buying fancy stuff. 
Yeah, no, there's some truth to that. I'm, I have no doubt that's the case. A lot of people, a lot of the middle to higher end are also trading down to Walmart. So it's a really bizarre environment for retailers. But I'll go back to December 8th, and we had a conversation about that. We said 84% inventory build on top of 28% sales growth. It's a $1.7 billion number of inventory in a company that does little north of $8 billion in revenues a year. We said they are going to lower margins. Watch. It has to happen. And it happened. I'm surprised it took them this long, to be honest with you. They tried to sort of explain it away, saying they did it for a reason. They anticipated, you know, back-end growth, which was complete horse hockey, as Colonel Sherman T. Potter once famously said, and we said it that night as well. There'll be a level for the stock, but it's not at 27 times next year's numbers. Meantime, shares of Bed Bath & Beyond skyrocketing, almost 24% today on strong volume. The big bounce back coming after last week's warning of potential bankruptcy um, that sent the once high-flying meme stock to nearly a dollar a share. BB&B is set to turn in its Q3 report card before the bell tomorrow. This not only was a huge percent mover on the day, it was a huge volume mover. It traded its entire market cap, basically. Karen, you're looking at the debt. Yeah, I mean, the debt's telling you a bankruptcy is coming, right? They told you. Right. You don't even need the debt to tell you. They told you. It's one of a number of things, but you never put that word out there unless you're likely to use it. So I think this is sort of a dead cat bounce. We'll see. It could trade up if they file. That We've seen that happen, but I, I just don't think there's going to be much value for the equity here at all. Just when you think the meme stocks were, were down and out, Reddit comes to the rescue of Bed Bath & Beyond with all the rumors of some sort of M&A sparking the stock guy. It's interesting, and I'm pausing because I'm trying to parse my words. Over the weekend, the amount of vitriol that I think all of us collectively got on the back of that segment we did on meme stocks being dead was really fascinating. You know, we're not trying to lead people astray. What we've been trying to do is point out the fact that the fundamentals for a lot of these companies are extraordinarily flawed. So what I find remarkable is regardless of what you tell a lot of these folks, they just don't want to hear it. It's the Paul Simon lyric. Man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And that's what's going on here. So, yeah, can the stocks bounce in this environment? Without question. Um, Can the equity go to zero? Clearly that can happen. But I'll say this as well. As long as you continue to see moves of this magnitude and names like this, that does not suggest a market bottom to me. All right. There is a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Portfolio prognosis, the latest out of J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference and the biotech check that could be the right prescription. Plus, China stocks soaring. But is the overseas surge still a buy? The names worth a look and whether the charts back them up. Ahead, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Healthcare, the worst performing S&P 500 sector today as the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference wraps up its first day. Our Meg Terrell has been on the ground in San Francisco speaking with a lot of CEOs, including the leaders of Pfizer and Moderna. She joins us now. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, the big question, of course, for Pfizer and Moderna really is what is next after the massive growth they've seen because of the COVID pandemic. But of course, the COVID pandemic is very real in places like China. We asked both leaders uh, what they're doing with that country. Here's what they said. So far, they have shown tremendous interest in Paxlovid. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Paxlovid was registered in China uh, months ago. And uh, we were giving very low quantities. Now that uh, China is opening, apparently, uh, the cases are skyrocketing from what we are hearing. Mm -hmm. So we are sending as much Paxlovid uh, as we can. We're actively in discussion. I'm hoping that something will happen. But of course, uh, it's the decision of, of the Chinese government of where this lands in the end. So for Pfizer, more about the antiviral pill, whereas Moderna saying they're in discussions about their COVID vaccine. Of course, a lot of questions about what that market ends up looking like in the United States. Stefan Bonsell, Moderna's CEO, telling us the government has asked them to prepare to transition to a more traditional commercial market for the vaccines, perhaps by late summer, early fall, sort of this next season that we may see. Uh, so they're doing that. And the pricing of the vaccines may be around $110 to $130. We'll have to see where that ends up. Beyond that, Mel, the biggest near-term focus for mRNA vaccines is flu and RSV. Both of those companies racing to the finish line in those. The ultimate goal is to package them all together, but we'll see them individually over this year and next year, Mel. Good news, especially for parents. Meg, it's great to have you back. Thank you so much. Meg Terrell. Um, Guy, what do you think of Moderna? I mean, the, the challenge here is getting the other vaccines out there to replace some of the COVID vaccine revenue that it may lose. Yeah, that's exactly right. And they're clearly trying to make the pivot. I mean, Moderna for me is sort of the $100 table that I tend to want to avoid. And we've done a good job, bad job with this stock along the way. But for me here, it's a no touch. What I will say, though, and Karen was spot on when Merck was in the 60s, Tim as well, said how undervalued that stock was, basically went up close to 80%. Look at the move Gilead's had. Both of them gave a little bit back today. Not surprising given the run. But I'll say again, I think as 2022 year was a great year for big cap pharma. I'm not certain that 23 will be the same type in percentage moves, but these stocks to me are still relatively fairly valued at these levels. Yeah, I agree with Guy. I mean, obviously 2022 was a great year for them. Today looked like a rotation, I don't know, out of these into semis or into something high flyer. I still have a lot of big cap exposure, not Moderna, um, but uh, I think there's still some room to run here. They're low PE stocks generally. Yeah. Steve? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the bigger bigger thing is the way you let off the questioning that the story has changed. So now it's no longer just COVID vaccines. We're talking about the flu, RSV, and a host of other things that they're going to direct their attention to. The mRNA, the messenger RNA technology is going to be with us for a very long time. And I think both stocks can run. But I agree with a guy on the mRNA the 50 has to hold, which is 177, and that's a real tight stop to where we are right now. Coming up, it is the moment you all have been waiting for. New year, new acronyms. Our traders are laying out their 2023 picks, and there's one stock causing an electric debate. 
The big reveal is minutes away. But first, a check on China. Is the group still a buy after the recent surge? The names to watch and what the chart master sees in the charts. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks losing steam throughout the day, giving up early gains. The Dow dropping more than 100 points. The S&P nearly flat, but still in the red. And the Nasdaq notching its second day of gains, up more than a half a percent. Some individual stocks continuing to trade near all-time highs. TJX, Progressive, and Caterpillar all hovering those levels. Um, turning now to the Beijing boom since our October lows, China's internet ETF KWeb has surged 80 percent. And the large cap ETF FXI moving nearly 50 percent. The gains growing today after the government dropped its remaining COVID mandates over the weekend. So is China still investable, uninvestable, I should say, or is it time to move back in? We thought we'd ask the question with America's favorite game. Trade it or fade it. That's right. Steve Grasso. Trade or fade China at this point with the huge run we've seen? I'm going to say trade it. I, I know that this one could be a flip of the coin, but I find it uh, pretty interesting that the, the world is going into a slowdown and China is releasing the reins from its COVID zero policy. I would trade it with Alibaba. And if you look at Alibaba, the FXI or KWeb, all the charts look really similar, but I would play it through Alibaba. Um, Guy, what would you say? Because it's not just releasing the COVID restrictions. They've done a lot of other market-friendly sort of things since then as well, including helping the property sector, which has really been battered and, and sort of just easing up on the tech crackdown. If memory serves, it typically does. October 24th of last year was a Monday, and we were coming off a weekend where the choruses of China being uninvestable were never louder. And that day, Alibaba traded down to 58 and change, closed at 63 on north, I believe, of 100 million shares. And we talked about it that day. We said, I said, I have no idea whether or not China is investable or not. But collectively, we thought for a trade, Alibaba set up extraordinarily well. We saw a similar setup in July, and that proved to be the case. Now, some 60-something percent later to the upside, I don't know. To me, it's sort of deep end of the pool. So I'm more inclined to fade it here. Sorry for playing the game poorly, but I had to set it up, Melms. <laughs> Dan, trade it or fade it? Yeah, I'm fading it here. And again, you know, that term versus uninvestable versus trading is, is an interesting thought. I mean, listen, we have thousands of stocks, thousands of ETF here in the U.S. where we have a lot more transparency to actually invest in. And I just don't find it particularly interesting. If you also think about what the sort of aggression that we have between us and China from an economic standpoint, I only think that ratchets it up. I'm not even talking about the potential for something to happen with, um, you know, Taiwan with some sort of aggression. So I just don't find it that compelling of a place and maybe on valuation was interesting maybe from a trading perspective it was interesting guy had a great call down there even i bought some fxi calls at that point it just seemed like really overdone and doing it with defined risk but at this level after the run it's had i'm just not interested in trading it anymore and i'm certainly not interested in investing in chinese companies especially when our companies of many of the same ilk that make up kweb and fxi our companies are not able to compete for their consumers over there Karen, trade or fade it? I am going, well, my gut answer is to fade it, but, you know, looking at my portfolio, I'm long a bunch of things that do have exposure there, right? So if I look at things like, like Apple, right, there's exposure there. Like Capri, which Steve mentioned earlier, that's a big market for them. And what was the last one? Oh, Louis Vuitton, right? Also a big market for right. them. So I could say, oh, I don't fade, Baba, whatever, but I'm there. Right. But Inadvertently, you don't own these because I, of China. Yes. Yeah. But 
Right, that's right. All right, well, let's stick with China and bring in a technician, one who resides in the pantheon of technicians, in fact. Mm-hmm. Carter Braxton worth or worth charting? We will pose the same question to you, Carter. Would you trade or fade China? Well, the key to that, of course, is it's who you are in the market. If you're a fairly short-term trader, month over month, week over week, anything that's rallied this much, you trim, you write calls, you do something, you take some measures, you fade it. If you are thinking long-term, and this is not hedging, I'm not hedging, I just put out a note today that said fade it. But for anyone who's long and steady and running big money, uh, $4, $8, 20000000000 billion portfolio, big mutual fund complex, pension plan, only because it's rallied this much is it time to start looking at it. Meaning the strength is how old? The October 24th low, and here we are just weeks, a few months later, and so it really is who you are in the market. But one thing I think that's important, um, and we can look at the charts if you want, the, the term on investable, you know, Goldman put that out in mid-2021, that they were hearing from clients that phrase, and that was actually right. I mean, mid-2021, a lot of damage was done, but then it was JP Morgan who really sort of rang the bell at the low on the 17th of October, and then 24th, just days later, it bottomed. So here's the chart. Let's put some lines in. And what you know is there is a well-defined downtrend line. And let's put some arrows in. Uh, we've rallied to a difficult level. So again, it's who you are in the market. Anything that drops that much and has rallied this much as a trader, you fade it. If you're long and steady, one would say it's only because of this strength that is it worth even considering now. Is there any differentiation, Carter, between the charts of a, you know an index-based method of investing in China versus... K-Web, which focuses on a particular sector? Sure. So the, if you look at the beta, which would be effectively the way to measure correlation between the HSI and the Shanghai or the FXI ETF versus the KWEB, you're, any way you slice it, you're getting 85 plus uh, percent correlation. So the principles are the same. And remember, this isn't a big move thing. Boeing itself is up uh, 90, almost 100 uh, percent. A lot of individual stocks Bed Bath & Beyond up more. So it's not about the magnitude of the move per se. It's the level to which the index has returned. All right. I do want to follow up also on your Medi-Call a few weeks back. It's bounced from its November lows. Is it still so bad it's good or is it so good it's, yeah. it's bad now? So it bounced. <laughs> That's right. So what to do? I mean, you know, the, the easiest thing in a way is how to cope with losers, right? In principle, just get out. It's how to cope with winners. This has rallied a lot. So should we stay? What if it rallies a lot more and we cut it here? Very hard. I just don't know. My hunch is to fade it. That's why you see a down arrow there on the screen. Okay. Your hunch is to fade it. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth. And Karen, you're still long. I'm still long. Uh Yeah. So my hunch is not to fade it, but clearly it should have been many, many times ago. (laughs) And Dan and I both added... uh, a while ago, decently, yeah. and yours was more of a trade, and you got out, which was a great trade. Yeah, my, mine was a trade, but it's interesting. As we get into earnings season, again, this is like a part of that conversation we had up at the top. I mean, here's a company that doubled their employee base in the last three years from 2019 where they are now. They're starting to take some measures on cost here. So, you know, the way I think about this is, like, I don't think you're going to miss much after the rally that we just had. If you wait and you hear about the results and how they match up with their cost cuts and whether they really are going to stick with them, because you're going to have another opportunity to buy this stock probably lower than where it was at some point in the near future. And it is 
cheap. And if they continue to do that, and maybe they do hit on some stuff in the metaverse. I mean, like to me, I do think it sets up really well, but it's, you know, what is it? It was uh, 80 bucks and now it's 130. I just think you're going to have another opportunity at this. Gross, I know you were looking at the charts as well. Yeah, I'm long the stock. I had added as well. Off that bounce that, that seems in hindsight, seems so obvious uh, as a bounce that was going to be longer lasting. It's closed that gap from the earnings uh, miss that it had, where it traded down to those recent lows. I, I, I cannot argue with any of the statements where you should sell it because it bounced back this much. I'm staying long. I think we'll probably get another 20 or $30 pop to the upside. I'm a longer-term investor in this one because it's been so beaten down. I'm willing to stay a little bit longer. All right. Coming up, what's on top of our traders' minds this year? They'll spell it out for you next in their acronym reveals. You will not want to miss this one. And later, Coinbase breaking out. Can you believe the bounce higher here? We'll bring you the trades and more into Fast Money. We'll be back right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money with five trading days under our belts in 2023. We thought this would be a good time to reveal our trading acronyms for the new year, the names our traders are spelling out that could be worth a look. Tonight, we're bringing you Dan and Steve's contradictory thoughts on Tesla. Um, Steve's going to wait a second as Dan makes the big reveal. Dan, your acronym, please. Yeah, mine is TSLQ. Some of you guys might <laughs> you might understand what that is. That's the inverse ETF of the Tesla. But here's what I want to do with this one. TLT, you know my whole thing. Remember Q? and twos. I want to do QQQ and I want to do twos, but in this case, the 20s. So the TLT is the um, iShares 20-year treasury ETF. And at some point, I think this year, it's going to be a great buy as I think rates have kind of topped out here. The other one is Snap. And, you know, to me, this is, I think, a cheap social asset on an adjusted basis. Um, They're making a little bit of money. Um, Same thing there for Lyft. I just think you're going to see some strategic M&A for some, some relatively cheap uh, names like that. And the last one is the QQQ. Going back to that, I just think that, again, those top five names make up about 40% of the weight of the QQQ. I am in the camp that some of those prior leaders of the last bull cycle are the ones that are going to lead us out. So I want to own, um, you, you know, I want to own a bet on yields going lower. I want to own the QQQ. I think the yields going lower helps that. Um, and I think some of those strategic MA names are really interesting. And then lastly, the TSLQ. You see what I did there? It's kind of like an embedded yep. into the thing. I think last year is the year that the, you know, the bloom is off the rose as far as Elon Musk and all of it. I think this is the year that fundamentals make Tesla go even lower than where it is right now, because I just think all of the pillars of the bear case are really going to play themselves out uh, in 2023. So I think TSLQ. So TSLQ fits in there because because you already used TSL and Q. Yeah. So you're also saying the entire. See what I did there? So you squeezed one in extra. Yeah, that's what I did. Nice. It's not really playing by the rules. Yeah, but I don't play by the rules. Okay. Um, Overall, though, this seems like sort of a risk on sort of trade. You said at some point, so you mean like this is is an acronym that that perks up in the back half? I don't know anybody who just buys a bunch of names in the first week of January and just sticks with them the whole time. So this is kind of my target list. How's that, people? You'll hear it here first on Fast Money. Okay. Um, Steve Grasso, you're on the other side on Tesla. So what's your acronym? My acronym is just, uh, in the, and we'll, we'll just rip through them. I'll get to the Tesla at the end. J.P. Morgan, for all the, all the reasons I stated for the last couple of uh, shows, I think they're the most set up financial. I know they've outperformed. But as Dan just said, that we have a lot of green for the year. So I think that, uh, you know, 
JP Morgan's outperformance maybe comes in a little bit, but I'm okay being there. If you look back to the financial crisis, they've outperformed every other bank on pretty much every other metric. Uh, then I jumped to, so that's that's my safer bet. Then United Health, which got demolished, I would have liked the uh, the year to start on January 6th, where uh, UNH actually seems to have bottomed. I think this one will uh, do you well if the market decides to come in just a bit. So this is more of my safety uh, trade in, in, in the space or in my acronym, I should say. So the J and the U are my more value investing choices. Then I jump to a SPAC. SPACs have been demolished. And I think that that's the reason why STEM Inc. has been hit so hard because it was a SPAC. Now it's lifting its head. A couple of price target uh, raises on the street. And those price target raises are important because they, uh, they actually factor in a doubling of the stock at least. So STEM, for most people who don't know the name, this is a artificial intelligence energy company. They regulate whether you hit battery on site or if you're going to the grid. And they do it automatically. They switch back and forth. It's very environmentally friendly. It lowers carbon emissions. I think this is where the puck is going. I think this stock has a very, very bright future ahead of it. And then we go to Tesla. So I get all Dan's reasons. I don't really disagree with him. This fits into that it's so bad, it's good for me category. And I think it's been so beaten up in 2022 I think it comes time for Elon Musk to talk more about batteries than cars, more about batteries than Twitter. I think this one can bounce aggressively. I'm long it. I'm going to stay long. I feel like we should vote on these or something, don't you? Don't you? Mm-hmm. I feel like there should be a viewer poll or something. We'll reevaluate when we get through all the acronyms and we'll, we'll see what we do with these. Coming up, Coinbase craze shares at the crypto exchange in rally mode today, but is a move higher here to stay? We'll hit the options pits for more on that trade. Much more fast money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Coinbase soaring higher today. It's best day since August. JMP Securities reiterating its market for outperformance on the stock, while Jefferies initiated coverage with a hold rating and a $35 price target. Coinbase blew through that level today, took a bunch of crypto-adjacent names along with it. Riot, MicroStrategy, Marathon Digital among the gainers. And option traders are betting there is at least a little more gas in the tank here. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yet 1.6 times the average daily options volume traders were focusing on the weekly 40 strike calls. They were spending about $1.15 for those. That's about 3% of the current stock price, betting that this rally that we saw today could continue through the end of the week. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Take a look at shares of Oak Street Health surging in the after-hours session by 28%. Bloomberg reporting that CVS is in talks to buy Oak Street. We'll follow this story. Meantime, let's get to the final trade. Sky? Happy anniversary, Fast Money. 16 years. Wow. Halliburton Melms. Oh, my God. We don't look a day over 13, right? (laughs) (laughs) Steve. I'm going to go with Tesla. I think it's going to work its way back to $150. 
Karen. Yes, a nice double upgrade on Zillow today, but I'm going to sell some upside calls against it. Dan Nathan. Yeah, TLT at the TMITLSQ tree. 16 years. That is That's amazing. Crazy. Thank you all for watching and helping us make it here. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. Uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.